today is First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 7. It's on page 1118 of the Pew Bible, and it's about 10 pages on this side of Revelation. First Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your spouse in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Westside. We are glad that you're here. Thanks for being patient with us as we switch some things up and you come to church and you change things. Oh, my goodness gracious. And everybody panics. But hey, we're glad that you are here. Um, we are continuing in our series, New Year, New Family. And what we've been doing is at the first part of the year, we've sort of paused and looked at the scriptures and in the scriptures to see what the Bible says about the family. We've covered um, a number of topics. And just to kind of let you know what's coming, today we are addressing, obviously, the husbands, as the verse was read to you. Next week, we're going to be talking about what the Bible says about biblical parenting, and so that, that'll be great. We've got a lot of parents here at Westside, and then leading us up to Easter and traditionally um, in the time of year that Lent happens, we are going to be diving into a sermon series that I'm really excited about. Um, this is an image of it. It is entitled Memento More, which actually means remember your death. And so um, we're going to be looking at what does the Bible say about death, when you die, what happens, um, the afterlife, heaven, all of these types of things. And so I am very, very excited about this. I know it sounds odd, but please trust me in this. I believe that the Lord is going to do something profound as we study this and understand this in a biblical way that leads us up to Easter, which Easter, this is a good spot for an amen. You ready for this? And Easter is the defeat of death. Amen. And that is good news. And so please, that's going to be happening in a couple weeks. Just always throw that out there so you can invite friends and family to come and be a part. In our series, New Year, New Family, we said that the goal was really sort of twofold in this series. And it was to break down old foundations and to build up new foundations for your family. So whether it be in your marriage, whether it be in your parenting, last week we talked about singleness, had just a ton of feedback on that. The idea that the church doesn't talk about something like that, but when we looked in the scriptures, the Bible has a lot to say about our singleness. And we said that it's a gift given by God to be stewarded well. And so now we're um, back looking at this idea of marriage and particularly the role of husbands. And so we looked at the first six verses um, in 1 Peter chapter 3 as it addressed it to the women. And today we're going to be looking at the idea of the role of a husband. And I did a little bit of research this week. Do you know what is by far um, the most endangered species in the world? Um, and it's called a vacata, and it looks like this. Um, it, as of, I think, 2019, there were only 15 of them um, in the entire world. So, like, when I say endangered, I mean, like, really, really endangered. One of the reasons is, is because of illegal fishing. Apparently, this fish's bladder, it's just, ugh, okay, right? Um, I only eat sushi if it's been deep fried and bathed in hot sauce. And I think that's just fried fish. I think that's all that is. And so um, the bladder can actually fetch $250,000 um, on the black market. And so it is by far the most endangered species. There's actually even a day, um, Vicada Day, July 7th. So please put that on your calendar um, this year and, and look at the Vicadas and all of that stuff. Um, but I would argue that they're not the most endangered species. Um, I would say godly husbands are the most endangered species. And what I mean by that is, I could share a ton of statistics. I looked at them this week. But at the end of the day, um, men are drowning 
and men are dying, not just physically, but emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And I, I think there's a number of reasons for that. But I want to tell you on, on the forefront today, men, um, we believe in you here at Westside. We have an entire ministry, Westside men, dedicated to you. So today, um, most of the time, women, like, you know, on Mother's Day or a sermon on women, it's like, you're valuable, you matter. And then when it's time to get the men, it's like, what are you doing with your life? Or something like that, you know. <laughs> like, um, but today, that's, that's not my goal. It's not to beat you up. It's to build you up. That's my goal today. And I think the reason why um, there's a number of struggles, I actually asked a question this week via social media, and, and I did this all through the series. So that topic, I would ask a question via social media when I did women, when I did singles. Man, when I did women, there was like 70 or 80 comments. It was incredible. And when I did the men, I had 10. <laughs> 10. Okay. And, and this is the question that I ask, married men only, when the Bible uses the language like love your wife like Christ loves the church, why does that feel so paralyzing and heavy? Because oftentimes I hear from men, man, it just feels so much responsibility, so much weight, it's crushing, I, don't, I need to be praying with them, I don't know how to do all of that. And I said, or if it doesn't feel that way, how does the role of a husband described in scripture make you feel? And um, through the noise of crickets... Um, a few men responded, but listen, I did this knowing what the result would be. Um, it was sort of like a case study to prove the point. And, and the point is this. Men are not only struggling, but the reason why men struggle is because they are notorious for not seeking help and or talking about the struggle. And so I just want to um, allow you men today, and especially you married men, to breathe a sigh of relief. And it's this. Everyone's failing. It's difficult. And it's hard. But what separates men from boys who can shave is the acceptance of the responsibility and the role that God has given you. And the reason why I believe that men are struggling in this area is a number of reasons. A, um, society pretty much attacks you if you try to lead and if you try to be a strong man. Uh, man. Secondly, we've seen such bad examples in that of men who through violence or manipulation has left a wake of devastation. But all of those pale in comparison and by far, through a number of conversations, I've been in this game a long time. Men, I, I think about primarily a man when I'm preparing my sermon because I believe that if you win the men, you win the war. But I believe men are struggling because of this. Most men don't know what it is to be a godly man because they've never had a godly man show them. So what you have is this. You have all of this responsibility, all of this weight. You should be doing this. You should be leading. And here's the thing. Most men know that. Like, like a majority of men actually know that they have responsibilities and that they're supposed to be leading. But when it comes to doing that, no one has shown them how. And that's why then the initiation into manhood is the seventh grade junior high boys locker room in those types of conversations. And so today my goal is to look in the scriptures and to see what God says to show us how to do this. Listen, what we believe at Westside is this. If you are a man in this room, we believe the other men in this room are your brothers for the battle. 1 Peter 2 says, love the brotherhood. So you have men rallied around today. We are going to give you a specific way to respond to this sermon that is going to set you up for success today. But primarily, you can put manhood in sort of two categories. And, and the reason why is because there's a major malfunction that has happened in manhood. And so primarily, most men fall in one of these two categories. 
The first category is this, which is passive men. And, and a passive man rejects responsibility by running, shutting down, and distracting themselves. So that's why, um, did you know the number one viewer on YouTube is a man between the age of 25 and 45? Because you can get on YouTube and literally know how to build a house or a car or something like that. The number one consumer in hobbies is men. Because that's how we sort of shut down and run away from the mounting responsibility. This man primarily deals with the troubled emotion of fear. Whether it be a fear of failure, a fear of rejection. So rather than attempting to do that and failing or being rejected, there is a shutting down, there is a pulling away, there's all of those things. But there's addition on either side of the road. So it's not just passive men, but then the next extreme is aggressive men. And so aggressive men destroy their responsibilities by reacting, dominating, and becoming authoritarian. And so the primary emotion with an aggressive man is anger. And, and, and actually, any psychologist will tell you, underneath that anger is actually pain. But, but a man is not allowed to grieve or so, show emotion, so the only acceptable emotion for a man to show is anger. That's why it comes out that way. So primarily, the great sin of manhood can be put in one of these two categories. Why? I mean, I mean we can connect the dots today. Why is that? Well, I want to show you something. I want you to keep your finger there in 1 Peter and then I want you to turn to Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. It's on page like 1 in your Bible, 1 or 2. Genesis chapter 3, God has made man in his image and likeness. Adam has named the creatures. God has created Eve from his side. We see the first wedding that takes place. Eve gets walked down the aisle by God given to Adam. God's entrusted them with the responsibility of His creation. He says, be fruitful and multiply. And then Genesis 3 happens. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field the Lord God had made. And He said, who did He say it to? He said to the woman, did God actually say... Did God really say that? Listen, we, we address this on the enemy of the family, but what, we, what you've got to understand is that there is an enemy to your family, and there's no new tactics whatsoever. And so it always starts with the seed of doubt and the question, did God really say this is the way you're supposed to use money? Did God really? I don't really think. Let's get on Google and find a bunch of blogs that affirm what I think because did God really say? Did God really say that you should not eat of the tree in the garden? And then the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Eh, turn to your neighbor and say, eh. um, We learned that it starts with doubting God's word, then it leads to distorting God's word. God didn't say anything about touching the tree. Now, it's probably a good idea to not do that, but that's adding to God's word. And then it goes on and says this, but the serpent said to the woman, you won't die. So now we're denying God's word. Now we're just outright. Do you see how quickly it moves? It goes from doubt to distorting it to now denying it. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. There it is. That is the lie. That is the lie that you and I battle with every day of our life. You wake up and you have a dominant question that you must wrestle with every second of the day. And it's this, will I let God be God or will I be my own God? That's the lie. And then it goes on and says this in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes 
and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and here it is. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Um, So you back up, and Eve's having a conversation with Satan, okay? Um, It probably would have been a good idea for Adam to step in and stop that combo at any moment. But what Adam does, rather than stepping out and obeying God's command, Adam falls into sin. In verse 7, here's the result. The eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Shame, guilt, that's the initial response to sin. And then what do you do when you feel that shame and guilt? You try to hide it. And they made themselves loincloths and sewed figs together. And by the way, humanity's been doing that ever since, trying to cover our sin. I mean, it can be through science, technology, money, human advancement, whatever. But we are searching for an answer to an eternal problem. But here it is. How does God respond to this? Does God just shoot fire down from heaven? They've sinned. This is is the fracture of the universe. Everything goes south because of this now. And how does God respond? Look at verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. That sentence is so heartbreaking and laughable at the same time. The God that they used to commune and walk with, that they were best friends with, they heard and then hid themselves. Why? Because sin separates every relationship. Your vertical relationship with God and your horizontal relationship with others. And then they hid themselves in the trees. They hid themselves in the trees from the God that made the trees. Okay, so it's like a little kid playing hide and seek. Have you ever done that before? Like a little kid's like, oh no, where am I going to hide? And then they just lay in the floor. One, two, right? You can't see me, right? Or if you hear a sound at night, you just cover yourself up in bed. And you're like, if the robber can't see me, then I can't see them, right? And then how does God respond? Look at verse 9. Men, this should be underlined in every one of your Bibles. But the Lord God called to, who did he call to? Lift your voice and say it. Who did he call to? And the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? Where are you? Why did God ask the question? Did he not know where Adam was? Wrong. Of course he knew where Adam was. The question wasn't for God. The question was for Adam. Men, I ask you today, where are you? Where are you? Where are you emotionally, mentally, spiritually? God doesn't ask the question out of guilt and shame. This is how gracious our God is that they have just sinned and fractured everything. Everything is now tainted. Now there's death. Now there's sin. Now there's decay. But our gracious God asks these sinners a question to draw them to Himself. So I say this to you, no matter how you answer that question today, men, there is a Heavenly Father who loves you unconditionally, who desires a relationship with you today. Listen, I don't care about the sin. I don't care about the addiction. I don't care about that right now. What I need you to know, and what I need you to know in your bones, is that there is a God who says, come home. Come home. Stop the running, whether it be through passivity and hiding yourself in your work or your hobbies or your distractions or hiding yourself through your aggression and your anger and pushing everyone away. What I say to you today is that there is a God who desires you, who desires you today. So what can we learn from that? When when God asks, where is Adam? 
Where is Adam? I need to speak to Adam. And then how Peter uses this language. And then Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul says the same thing. Listen, here's the big idea in the thesis today, men, and I want you to understand this. That God holds husbands responsible for the home. That's just what I want you to know. God holds husbands responsible for the home. I'll never forget when I understood this, and I had a pastor and a preacher say to me, Jason, if there's a problem in the Jordan home, and let's say that it is, you know, fault, whatever, let's say that the sin is Courtney's sin, okay? And let's just be honest, we're just playing here because that wouldn't be true, right, okay? (laughs) But if that is the case and Jesus knocks on your door, and Courtney answers it, he will say, "Um, I will speak with you, but I need to know where Jason is first. Because God holds husbands responsible for the home. But when I say that, I know what you hear, men. That it's my fault. I didn't say that. You see, we are so far removed from the biblical teaching of manhood that when you hear responsibility, you hear the word fault. And the epidemic of manhood is that men are not accepting their role and responsibility. That's why men bail on kids. That's why men leave their jobs. That's why all of that happens. And that can be a number of factors But what we have to understand is that God holds us responsible because He has empowered us for that role. Now, ladies, we did an entire sermon as to how you come alongside and empower. There is plural leadership, but single headship. We talked about all of those things. But the key is understanding the word responsible. And and you know what? I had to look up the definition of that this week. Because when every time I said it to myself, I kept hearing fault. That's just all I kept hearing was, it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault. Do you know what the definition of responsibility is? It's incredible. This is the definition of responsibility. A duty to help care for someone or something because of your position. Listen, men, God has granted and given you this role in your home. It is not something that you can demand. It's something that's been granted and been given. And the reason why that most women don't feel comfortable with a man leading them is because men reject that responsibility and in turn makes the woman not feel safe in the relationship. And so I don't want him driving. I don't know where where he doesn't know where he's going, right? But how can we do this, men? How can we understand what our role is? Well, you have to understand the number one responsibility first and foremost. Listen, this is a sentence you need to write in the flyleaf of your Bible. Maybe make a note on your phone and screenshot it and save it as your background. But it's this. A part, a husband's number one responsibility outside of his relationship with Jesus Christ is his wife. That's it. There's no like second or runner-up or anything like that. The number one responsibility that you have, men, apart from your relationship with Jesus Christ is your wife. That's why at every wedding that I do, I look at the man And I'll say the man's name. And I'll say, look at this woman. And I'll say her name. And I will say this, apart from your relationship with Jesus Christ, is your number one responsibility. It's your number one responsibility. It's not the kids. We're going to learn next week that your job as a parent is to equip your kids to leave. And all the parents said, amen. Amen. Right? Okay? But listen, apart from your relationship with Jesus, your wife is the number one evidence of God's grace in your life. And so, when we look at these verses before us today, can you just look down at your Bible? Isn't it fun? Um, When Peter talks to the wives, 
he gives the ladies like six verses. I mean, the dude quotes even an Old Testament story. I got footnotes in my Bible. I got all this stuff. And then he gets to the men. Homies, we have one verse. <laughs> one verse, right? Now, why is that? Well, I believe Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, knows women and he knows men. And women process differently than men. And so he's anticipating questions, answering those questions, drawing them back to examples, doing all kinds of stuff. And for the men, he puts the jelly on the bottom shelf. Okay? That's why I say that all the time, because it's literally biblical, right? Men, it is 38 words in English. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at this single verse. And I'm going to break it down word by word, and phrase by phrase. Men, please listen to me. When you leave today, you will not be saying, man, I didn't understand him today. I didn't. You might not like what I say, okay? But you will not question what I say. Because listen, I believe God is for you. And no matter what anybody else has told you, no matter what your dad or your brother's no matter what any other man told you in your life, please listen to me. There is a God who loves you and is cheering for you. And the women and our sisters in Christ are cheering for you. And so today, the question that guides us is this. How can I do this? How can I fulfill my role as a husband? Listen, we're not talking perfection. We're talking progress. We're talking accepting the responsibility to lead our home and to lead our wife as God has designed us. So how do we do this? Here we go. The first thing is this. Spend time with your wife. I mean, guys, we're in the deep theological end today, okay? Look at what Peter says in the verses. Likewise, this goes back to say, hey, the submission thing that I talked about to the women, men, that still involves you. Because you are submitted to Christ. You are submitted to the church. No man ever says to his wife that she should submit to him when he is not under submission. Okay, we, we dealt with all that. You can go listen to that sermon on the website. Likewise, husbands, here you go, here we go, live with your wives. There it is, guys. That's what you pay me for every week, right? It's just right there. No. Um, spend time. Where does that come from? Well, the phrase, live with your wives, live with, um, that phrase in the original language looks like this. Um, it's only used here in the entire Bible. Live with is used here. And what it means is to dwell intimately with. And the way that the tense is written in this, that, and the other, it denotes time. It denotes time is what it means. And do you know what I instantly thought of when, when I understood the definition of that word? This is just the way my mind works. I'm a simple man, but I know what love is, Jenny, okay? Um, I thought of a crock pot. And a, well, a microwave is the antithesis, right? So when men enter into a relationship, and when I say spend time with your wife, what you are wanting is an equation. You're wanting like, well, how much? How, what is actually spending time? Okay, Tuesday, I can do boop, 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 and then and then there you go. You got your TV dinner, and then you check it off the list. You're like, man, I spent time this week. Woo, great, right? That's not what the word means. The word doesn't mean microwave. The word means a crock pot. And you toss the ingredients in, and then time does all the work. Now, if we had time, we could go back to Genesis and see why men struggle with this. Because here is the number one thing that men always say. I can't find the balance. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm behind at work, and I'm trying, to, I'm trying to provide. I'm trying to provide for our family. So the wife will say, well, we never spend time together. And then he says, yeah, because I'm working 12 hours a day at the third shift to provide for our family. And so when I'm at work, I do love you. And I'm working for you. And she's like, but I want you. And he's like, but you have me. And she's like, but I don't have you. And then he's like, what? And she's like, you're like your father. And he's like, what? Like, and then it just happens, okay? 
All right, that's just okay, it just starts going that way like really fast, right? Um, but it means time. It means undistracted, intentional time. Because God said, um, Adam, because you've sinned, you're going to work the ground now. And the ground's going to fight back to you. And you're going to spend so much time fighting the ground that you're going to neglect the wife that's been given to you. Um, but can I just break this down for us? I know if you're still arguing, that's fine. You know, time, I'm trying, man, you don't understand this season. Man, I'm trying to, man, you don't. Okay, let's, let's break this down like this. How can you spend time um, with your wife? I think it looks like this. Go to this slide. There's no substitute for quality time. And then let's break it down and look like this. Live with your wives 15 minutes a day, one evening a week, one day a month, one weekend a year. There's no substitute for this. You can't make up for the quality time by providing for your family. The way that you provide emotionally for your family is time. And, and listen, the thing that provokes me that I have to guard myself against is seeing all of these men with so much free time, with so many hobbies. Can I just say something right here? And this is going to make everybody mad, the guys mad, the women might amen, but this, that, and the other. But men, please listen, there might be seasons in your life where you don't get to hunt. Okay? You might not get to work on your golf game this year because your marriage is holding on by a thread. And the only thing, the only thing that you have that there is no substitute for is time. It is the time. And God has given you this time. So please, men, we need to steward it well. And this can, ha if you're in a season with kids and you're like, man, when I put the kids down and then I got to get up at 5 a.m. and the kids go down at 8.30, I mean, all my wife and I have are like two to three hours before the next day starts. Awesome. Then maximize the two to three hours. Maximize them. Spend time with your wife. The next point is this. As you're spending time with your wife, study your wife. Study your wife. Look at what Peter goes on to say in the verse. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. In an understanding way is what he says in the verse. Some of your translations will say, according to knowledge. We have the verse if you'll click that. According to knowledge. In an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman. So, likewise, husbands, live, spend time, and then as you're spending time, you're doing it in an understanding way. The word that is an understanding is the word, it's gnos, where we get the word knowledge from. That's where that phrase comes from. You know, one of the things that I had to learn when Courtney and I got married was what that quality time meant. Because oftentimes what you think is quality time is not quality time to her. And so what I thought quality time was when we moved up and lived in St. Louis, we were around like these really cool restaurants and we would go see movies and we would do all of that stuff. And then one day Courtney just said, um, you know, like I love when we eat dinner and when we do that, but when we go to the movie, like we're not talking to each other. We're just sitting there watching a movie. I would like to do something more where we get to know each other better. And it was like a light bulb went on in my head. Because guys, we think like she's sitting right there, we're, we're at the movie, we're here, and we're doing the thing. And one of the most important things that you can do is understanding your wife is gaining knowledge of what love means to her. Okay? Now, there's a very practical way that you can do this. Many of you have already done this. There's a website called fivelovelanguages.com. This is what the website looks like. And what you do is you go and you take a series and answer a series of questions. And most human beings fall under a category of five ways that they receive love. 
you know, words of affirmation, physical touch, gifts, quality time, acts of service, those types of things. Now, if you're saying, well, we've already done that. <laughs> we've already done that. That ain't working. Okay. Um, you need to do it again because here's why. All research and study shows that a woman's love language changes. And ladies, it might have changed and you might not even be aware of that. And so I would encourage you very practically, maybe this evening, a way that you can spend quality time and studying your spouse is doing something like the five love languages test. And this is something, men, that we have to understand, okay? Um, and I'm going to try to use a very clear sentence here that I think we will understand. Romance, romance is the response to commitment, not convenience. So if you would like more romance in your marriage, then you need to spend time and understand and study your wife. Because her natural response to that is then romance. It is not based out of convenience. It's based out of safety and commitment. Spend time with your wife. Study your wife. And then the third thing is this. Honor. Honor your wife. Here's what the remainder of the verse says. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman. This word honor is a really, really cool word. And in my study of Scripture, I've been so moved by it. We're going to do an entire series based on honor because I think our society does a very poor job at it. What our society does is it's really good at criticism and criticizing so everything's based on that. What'd you think of that? That, you know, or this, and negative comments on social media, and this, that, and the other. Our society has no idea how to show honor. Honor is such a big deal that it's in one of the Ten Commandments when God says to honor your father and your mother. But what does that look like? The word honor literally means understanding the value and the price of something. What we said a few weeks ago is this, view her through the value that she is, because the value changes the way that you view it. Well, what's a practical way? Because I know what you're saying, right? Jelly on the bottom shelf. How do I do this? How do I honor? What does that mean? How do I show her that she's valuable? Um, here's a number of ways that men can honor um, your wife. The first way is this, you can do it publicly with words, publicly with words, um, I'm not beating down, but I am so not for the, uh, my old lady, you know, <laughs> my old lady. You, just, you sound like an idiot, okay? And the way that you speak, uh, listen, words create worlds, man. And you're just wondering why there's that tension and why all that's going on. Think about the way that you speak about your wife when she is present and when she's not present. Um, you need to do this very much so in front of your kids all the time. You need to honor your wife in front of the children. Hey guys, can we tell mom um, that she did a great job on this dinner and planning and doing this? And we need to show honor that way. Our kids will learn that by the way that we do that. So publicly with words, secondly, privately with time and attention. Whenever you put the phone away, even though you're behind on the job and you need to do this, listen, she understands that. She knows that you're working hard. But what's incredibly valuable is when you press pause on the world and you say, man, I need you. I just need you right now. Privately with time and attention. And then the last thing is this. Frequently with loving acts of kindness. Loving acts of kindness, okay? Um, so those to-do lists, we need to do them. Now, one thing I will say, ladies, lay off Pinterest a little bit, okay? All right? 
This ain't HGTV, okay, right? I mean, I know guys that are incredible at that stuff, and it's like I'm still behind. But at the end of the day, what this means is this. What you say you will do, you will do it. Again, that provides safety. That provides safety. How can you do this? By spending time with your wife, by studying your wife, by honoring your wife. And then how about this? By protecting your wife. Look at what he says in the remaining aspect of the verse. Likewise, husbands, do you see how we're doing this? We're just studying the Bible. That's what we're doing. We're studying the scriptures line by line, word by word. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. <gasps> you say, that's why I'm not a Christian. See what I'm that, that view of women, that, all that stuff? Pause. Okay. Chill. We talked about this last week. Peter is actually doing something incredible here. Um, number one, drop down when he says that since they are heirs with you to the grace of God, men and women are equal in value, but they are different in roles. They are equal in value. What Peter is saying is he might be referencing that men in general... This is crazy that this is a provocative sentence, what I'm about to say in 2022. That men in general are stronger physically than women in general. Okay, That's crazy that that's a provocative sentence. He might be talking about that. But what he's actually saying is he's talking about value here. You know the image that popped in my mind was, was this image. Um, like maybe you've got a package in the mail... And they set it down and it said, handle with care. What Peter is saying is that woman that God has given you is so precious and so valuable. And outside your relationship with Jesus Christ, she is your number one responsibility. Handle with care. How do you do this? How do you do this? Well, I think men are called to protect their wives a number of ways. Physically? Absolutely. I don't know anybody that would be like, if a robber breaks in, like, babe, go see what that is. Go handle that. I'm going to stay with the kids. Like, I don't really know anything about that. Um, physically, I think we know that, right? We know that. But then here's where the list gets a little bit more. It's not just physical. Um, emotional? Emotional, financial, spiritual. Here's really what I think Peter's saying. The number one thing that you can do to protect your wife is to protect her from your own sin. That's it. I'm not talking about perfection, men. I'm talking about progression. I'm talking about men who willingly know what their responsibility is and they reject it and they abdicate it. That is so damaging to your marriage and to your role because God holds husbands responsible for the home. And the reason why God has given you the strength that you have, both physically and emotionally and all of those things, is God has given you that strength so you can serve your wife. Listen, most men know and work hard and can do that and they have that strength. They're just pointed in the wrong direction. And what I'm saying is, is point that direction and channel that and funnel that to its appropriate destination, which is your wife. That's why God has designed you to be that way. It's to spend time with your wife, study your wife, honor your wife, protect your wife. And then the last thing is this. It's to pray with your wife. It's right in the text. Here's the very last section of the verse. We've gone through all of it. So that. Here, here's what he's saying. This is why I'm writing this. Because. So that. Because. Your prayers. May not be hindered. Now you need to understand something. Most people think. That this is about individual. So if I'm praying individually and I have ought with my wife and there is sin or conflict, that God will not hear my prayers. Now, 
I don't know if that's 100% true, but I do think that there is a mention and meaning of that. But here's what I'm saying. The word your here is plural. So it's y'all. We actually have a word for this. It's called y'all, right? So that y'all's prayers may not be hindered. So here's what Peter has in mind. If a husband and a wife have conflict with one another, they most likely will not be coming together and praying with each other. And what Peter is saying is, do these things so as you come together and pray, that time will not be hindered. I mean, do you know what was so convicting about this? Is that it's assumed. Like, like it's assumed that the husband and wife will be praying together. When I speak and talk with men, this by far is one of the number one things that I hear. I know I'm supposed to be praying with my kids. I know I'm supposed to be praying with my wife. But the amount of guilt and shame that you have because of your sin and the sin that she knows about in order for you to grab her hand and to kneel down and to pray is terrifying to some of us. But think about how backwards it is. Like some of us in the room spray like animal pee on us and we go out in a tree stand 50 feet in the air and we're going to kill this beast, but you cannot grab your wife's hand and pray with her because more than likely nobody's shown you how. So I'm not putting guilt over you. What I want to do is I want to empower you. But here's something you got to understand. Your love for God above you is measured by your love for your wife beside you. I will not, I repeat, I will not enter into a theological debate or end times or this, that, and the other with the guy who is more willing to argue about theology and hasn't prayed with his wife. It's not going to fly. That's emotional immaturity. So what's the key in all of this? I close with this quote from C.S. Lewis. The husband is the head of the wife just in so far as he is to her what Christ is to the church. Read on. And he gave his life for her. This headship then is most fully embodied not in the husband we should all wish to be but in the man whose marriage is most like a crucifixion, whose wife receives the most and gives the least. Men, that's the charge God has given us. That's the charge that God has given us. I want to close with two things. The first one is this. Out there at the information table, there's a list of resources for you as men. At Westside Men, we have a prayer that we pray every single week when we get together. This is what the prayer looks like. And it's out there on a sheet of paper. It says, as a West Side man, I vow that my church will be served by me. My brothers will be encouraged by me. My wife will be loved by me. My wife will be served by me. My family will be led by me. My wife will be prayed for by me. My children will be prayed for by me. The Bible will be opened in my home by me. My grandchildren will worship the same God as me because my children will worship the same God as me. That's the type of man we're shooting for at Westside. So what do we do? We want to provide you with an opportunity. So as soon as I pray, what I'm going to do is I'm going to grab my wife's hand and we're going to pray up here together. And I'm calling all men that if your wife is present with you today for you to grab her hand and to step out of that aisle and to come forward and to pray out loud for your wife and with your wife today. This is where the rubber meets the road, guys. I'm not interested in playing the prostitute of the church. Okay? I'm not interested in studying things that we will not apply. And I know what you're saying. I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to pray. Well, great. I got a prayer for you. Okay? Okay? Here it is. Heavenly Father, thank you for my wife. 
She's the greatest gift that you've given me. Forgive me of my failures. Give me strength to lead our home. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm not saying that lightning's going to come down from heaven. I'm not. Guys, this is all I'm saying. Get in the game. All I'm saying is get in the game. I don't care if you drop the ball. I don't care if you stepped out of bounds. I don't care. Get back in the game. We need you. The church needs you. Your home needs you. Your wife needs you. God has empowered you for this. He's designed you for this. You have the capabilities. You have the Spirit of God in your heart. You have the Word of God in your hand. You have the people of God around you. Your time is now. Step out and get in the game. If you're here today and your husband isn't with you, or you would like prayer for your husband, there's going to be some board members here on the side today as well. You can step out, come forward. They would love to pray for you, pray for him. Listen, today, let us accept the responsibility that God has given for us. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And Holy Spirit, right now, we ask for you to move in an incredible way. God, do something in this room. God, do something in this room. God, I don't want to come to church and not experience your presence. God, I don't want to come to church and not feel your power. And today we want to see the power of God. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that will enable a man to grab his wife's hand and to step out in the aisle and to walk forward and to bend a knee. These men will be no taller than when they bow their knee before their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and thank God for the woman that he has given them to ask for forgiveness and accept responsibility for their sin and to say that Jesus Christ paid for my sin. No more will I be a passive or aggressive man that is locked in by my shame and my guilt, but I now live in the freedom and the power and the authority that Jesus Christ has given to me. Holy Spirit, move in this place today. God, I pray I feel such an urgency in my spirit and there's a man that doesn't know the Lord, but he wants this. God, I pray today that that woman that prays for that man, that that man might not even be here. He might be somewhere else. He might be listening online. God, save a man today. God, save them. Empower them. Embolden them. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray all of these things in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ.